Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on TWIP, a year-end review. The crew chats about some of the biggest photography-related stories of 2009. And Lisa Bettany of MostlyLisa.com joins in the fray. All that and more in episode number 122 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another episode of This Week in Photography. Today's a very special show. It is the end of the year. This is the last the last show that we'll be doing in 2009. And to help us close out the year is, as usual, on the wheels of steel, Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. Hello, hello. How was your Christmas, by the way? It was good. It did was you, very photographic. Did, did Santa bring you the stuff that you wanted, or, or did you get a lump um, of coal? I don't really ask for a lot from Santa. Because you, you, you're your own Santa all year. You're <laughs> 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 like, what's this December 25th crap? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a big, I'm not a big fan of the, of the whole... Waiting thing? No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. Patience. <laughs> Oddly enough, my, 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 parents, my, my parents-in-law were in, in town, and, uh-huh. and it's, which is great. It's the two best meals of the year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, because my, my mother-in-law is in town, and mm-hmm. she's from Louisiana, and it's good stuff. So, uh, so the, um, uh, I gained, you know, three pounds, you know, but, but you know, it has to be done. Right. Uh, but so for some reason, they got me lots of things to help me make mixed drinks i don't know what kind of i don't know how they had the impression <laughs> that i message. like to drink you know like, alex like you need to loosen up dude so <laughs> here, here i was some like vodka no no it was like it was like a, a nice new shaker and a nice new uh it was, like, it was the shaker and these little the little tools and everything else and yeah. and i just i was like you know this would be great if i ever if i ever used anything like that but of course i would never Mix my own drinks in my own house, and you have to go out to a bar to do that. Yes. Of course. Yeah, you're crossing all kinds of lines there. (laughs) Also on the show, uh, coming to us from Pasadena, I think he's in there, um, is Joseph Lenashke. Hey, Joseph. Good morning. Uh, What did did you get? Did you get anything interesting? I did. I got these fantastic... Fuzzy slippers. I've been looking for a pair of these forever. So <laughs> those look very uh, bohemian. Or is that the word? Very, very fuzzy and warm. So. Wow. <laughs> very cool. All right. So far, nobody got any uh, nothing photographic. What's going on? I already have all that stuff. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, joining the show to help us close out the year, somebody who hasn't been on the show in a while, Miss Lisa Bettany. Hey, Lisa. Hello. It's How, nice to be here again. It's nice to have you. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. Actually, I got a new camera strap. Ooh, let's I see. got the, the, the Black Rapid RS5. And it's mm-hmm. I love it. It's actually saving my neck right now as we speak. Wow. I could just wear this all day. I've been and, hearing a lot about those Black Rapids. I need to. I think I need to uh, mm-hmm. maybe purchase one of those. I got you one definitely. with my. I guess my last Kata bag 
Came with one. Came with what's, a strap. What's special about the Black Rapid? What does it do? I mean, is it like a um, harness kind of thing or what? Well, it has it detaches. So there's like a spot for all your CF cards or whatever you want to carry. And then there's a nice little pocket for your phone. Oh, nice. So as you're by the altar shooting the bride and groom and your phone rings, you can take the call. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, before you guys kiss, I need to take this. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, uh, welcome everybody to the show. This, like I said, is a uh, really, really interesting i'm looking through the notes for the show it's chock full of stuff to talk about so we figured for this year end show we do a 2009 year in review type episode um and just kind of go over the things that uh, that were hot through the year and in fact in the list that i'm looking at here everything that we need to talk about is marked hot so, <laughs> so let's just kick it off and, and this is kind of a free form conversation so uh everybody feel free to to jump in and and just let's just talk through this stuff. The first thing I'm going to kick it off with, uh, and not because this is any particular order or anything like that, but um, there was no major aperture update in 2009. No major aperture update. What, not that you're bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm just not that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering why. Why is that, Alex? I have no answer. <laughs> I have no oh, comment. That's to that. a very politically correct answer. I have no answer. Not that I don't know or I can't tell you. I have no answer. <laughs> you see, that's no. very well structured, Joe. What do you For think me? about aperture, yeah. Joseph? Joseph, Joseph. Why, yeah, yeah, put Joseph in the hot seat. Why has there been no major aperture update, Joseph? Well, I think you know the answer to that question, Frederick. The answer is. Uh, I'm still under NDA and cannot comment on any such product that may or may not be released. I thought you were going to say because Lightroom sucked all the air out of the universe. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that, no, that would be your answer. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, you know, Lightroom has wow. a gigantic user base. You know, I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm somehow related to the application. But, <laughs> I mean, it has it, – it, Lightroom has kind of, you know g- – I don't know. It, it's sucking air out of the photography universe in terms of – it's becoming like the WordPress of the blogging world you know if you're not using lightroom then it's like oh you're using something now, else what is it i think we need to make sure the people who are, who are just coming to the show have been know that i used to be the product marketing manager for lightroom, for lightroom. but so i I'm think not, we need, i think we need, you're not now i could be bitter I, I should be pushing aperture because they laid me off a year ago <laughs> because, lightroom, <laughs> because lightroom was doing so well yeah lightroom was so great they laid me off it was god was it that this was part time? of the adobe it was this time last year yeah it was this time last year, part of the Adobe. Uh, they laid off 600 people around this time last year. Everybody else just gets weeks off. And yeah, I got Furlough. I got a permanent layoff or a permanent vacation right. along with 600 other people. But the point is, uh, if I wanted to just be bitter and say, oh, you know, Lightroom sucks, go use Aperture or whatever, I would be within my rights to do so. <laughs> but well, I'm yeah, still I, using I Lightroom that- because it's, for me at least, it's the best choice. I don't know. Lisa, what are you using? I use Lightroom and I love it. I mean, obviously, I have a past with Aperture as well. Um, and I just switched over to Lightroom probably about a year ago and I love it. I love it. And yeah. I, I also um, spoke at uh, a Photoshop conference in DC this year and I was really shocked at the amount of people that attended that that conference that actually haven't used Lightroom. So I don't think it's as prevalent as as we think. And I think a lot of people don't understand what a great photo management system it is as well as a photo editor. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, are, the, are the the people that were at your talk were they? Um, they were mainly designers, so cause they were there mainly for InDesign. But um, those are bridge so, users. So they so were they weren't yeah. using Aperture either. Um, some of them were. I mean, the diehard sort of Apple people tend to use. Well, but Aperture. I think that, I think that for me, Aperture is a different. It's just a whole different um, approach. You know, it. it be, you know, I, I think that for the. Oddly enough, for given someone who uses Photoshop as often as I do, um, but I I tend to uh, with most of my media management, you know, I tend to want to have it just get managed for me. I only make corrections to the whole image. I don't, you know, maybe I crop a little bit. Um, you know, I don't do a lot of the other stuff, and I and I do make books and I make little things and I do. And for for that, I just find that Aperture is more what I want to more what I want to use. So so I find it I'm much more comfortable with Aperture in that area because as soon as I want to do any editing, which is what you would normally do with Light, I mean, I always look at Lightroom as if you want to have the thing that you do all the editing at, at the same time that you're doing all the organization. Um, but the problem is, is I'm so good at Photoshop <laughs> that I don't really care about what Lightroom can do. You know, and I, I know a lot of guys that are really great at Photoshop that, that don't feel that way. But for me, it's, it's a my, tool. My it depends whole, on what you're doing. Yeah, if my you want to get into, like we were saying, we, we used to say before, um, you know, Lightroom is a great general practitioner. I mean, you can get most of your work done in Lightroom, but it's, if you want to get into some serious nip tuck style <laughs> surgery <laughs> on your images you're going to need to go to a specialist and that's photoshop well and right? i find that i want to get there's you know it doesn't have what i need almost immediately when i start doing it because i use all these old tools and and uh, you know lots of stuff that i'm just used to using and i need to i'm sure i need to upgrade my skill set so yeah. that i can do that kind of stuff but for me what i really want out of aperture is just something that organizes all my files keeps mm-hmm. them all in one big place the one thing that i think that is a challenge for and i don't i have no idea whether this is having any effect on the on the timeline of aperture but i um i don't i have not talked to the guys i'm not under nda with aperture and i haven't talked to you know if you're not under nda as we all know that um people who used to work uh, you know apple mm-hmm. you don't know anything mm-hmm. <laughs> right you know, so, and sometimes so, when you are under nda you still don't know you still don't, I, I, sometimes i think i know more about what's going on at apple than most of the employees yeah, so so yeah. the because uh, i work with so many different teams but but i don't work i haven't been talking to them about aperture and the, but one, the one thing that I, I'm curious about is whether actually the upgrades to, to iPhoto have delayed, delayed Aperture to some degree because you've got to make that stuff work because you can't have another version of Aperture come out that doesn't do what iPhoto – because I'll be honest with you. I mean the, right. some of the stuff with iPhoto when it comes to the GPS, when it comes to facial recognition, when it comes to a bunch of Do you use that though? Do I, you use the, the GPS thing? I would if I – here's the deal is that in my next point two <laughs> camera – Yes or no, Alex? Not now. <laughs> I mean, it well, sounds here's the cool. Okay, here's, here's the one thing that, I did. But... Here's, here's the one thing that I do use it for is um, when I uh, when I was shooting, I, I was shooting a bunch of QuickTime VRs or, or QuickTime VRs slash you know uh, panos, mm-hmm. these huge panos in Brazil, and I needed to know where I shot them so that I could go back to the map and reattach them and make sure I knew exactly where they are. Yep. I shot every single right over the top of the camera, viewing what the camera could see on the first image. I would shoot it with my iPhone, and all I was doing is the iPhone was embedding the GPS information of where where I was. Yeah. So I say that photo goes with this. This photo goes with this. This now I really wish I had the GPS setting, and I'm pro- I want to get one mm-hmm. where it was keeping track of it. I just didn't have it with me, and I felt like eh, my iPhone's good enough to yeah. do that. And so so having that GPS information from a technical standpoint is useful to me. Um, uh, and 
the next point and shoot camera that I that I really get that I'm going to walk around with. I mean, my LX3 is kind of getting old in the tooth at this point, mm-hmm. and my next you know point and shoot is definitely going to have GPS because I yeah. I know well, when I'm traveling and taking photos, I really want to know where. Typically, that is. Apple is always ahead of the game in terms of new technology adoption. Right. So like we always the, go, do you use that? And then next thing you know, you're yeah. Using next it all thing the time. you know, everybody's using it because it's like, oh wow, I can't believe how I live without facial recognition or GPS. You know, and I have facial to admit, recognition though. Come on, it's actually really. <laughs> oh, Facial facial recognition is great. One of the things that I do with my photos is I keyword tag uh, people's names in the photos. So whether they're family photos or, you know, for a client, I will I will name I will keyword the photos with a person's name that's in them. So having the facial recognition in there is going to speed that up. Uh, would speed that up tremendously. So I wish that, you know, I was using iPhones sometimes. Now, Joseph, that. describe the feature for the folks who may not know what the, the facial recognition feature in iPhoto is. Can you just sure. kind of give us the basics? So the way it works in iPhoto, is it's a learning algorithm. So you basically, let's make it easy, say a family photo is your Christmas holiday or whatever. And you go through and you start tagging, you know, that's little Johnny and, and that's the missus and whatever. And you tag people in there by faces. The software recognizes a face and it does a nice little crop of the face that it sees. And you say, this is Joseph. This is Fred. And then it goes through your library and says, is this Joseph? Is this Fred? And it brings up faces that it think matches. And then you can say yes or no. And the more you do it, the more it learns and the better it gets. So it's very, very powerful if you rely on having names in there for searches. And I do. I do that all the time. I'll go through projects and look for pictures of these people together without this person or pictures of these two people rated three stars or better. And that's a a great way uh, to sort the pictures and having that facial recognition would speed that up tremendously. Now, Joseph, as as a person, and presumably you're using Aperture right now, and you're using iPhoto. As a pro photographer, how do you use the two apps together? Do you segregate your libraries? Like, you know, I'm shooting with this point and shoot, so it's all going to iPhoto, and all my DSLR stuff goes to Aperture. What's your methodology? There? No, I actually I don't use iPhoto except just to play with it because I've played with the facial recognition features, but I don't use it at all in my workflow. So all that stuff you just said about how cool it was, you're just it exactly. is unqualified. Well, it's from using it and playing with it, but I'm exactly. you know it's something that I want to have mainstream. It's something that I want to have in Aperture. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing is I, I as I said I, I think that app I think one of the things that Aperture has to have is pretty much all the features or nearly all the features that iPhoto has when they come yeah. out, and I think that's the complexity of having. I think you know largely two different teams working on two different things, and and I think that, that that Aperture has to catch up in those areas. I do think right now it's kind of merging. I believe Aperture kind of merges the the library with iPhotos with iPhoto. It'll pull it in through the media browser, so you okay, can yeah. you can view your your iPhoto, iPhoto so, library so you can inside use, of Aperture. You can kind of use both. Yeah, of them. yeah, you can pull it in. Yeah. So wh- which way does it need to go? Um, you know, I'll put this to. You. Alex, you and Joseph, does Aperture need to become more like iPhoto in order to compete better with Lightroom or vice versa? I think Aperture. One thing I know that I hear from photographers a lot when I ask them which they use, if they've tried both, they universally say that Lightroom is easier. So that's, I always hear Lightroom is easier to use, um, but then I also always hear from people that Aperture is more powerful. I guess the fact is that most people don't need all the power that's in there or at least don't think they well, need it. I think that that actually uh, – I think the thing – and I know that this is the case for me is that uh, for me the, the big thing about Aperture is it's a real wetware problem, you know, which is the you know the wetware between our heads is that you really do need to focus a little – I think Apple needs to focus more on really training people and making sure they understand how to use those features and make sure that it comes with the application, that it's hard to miss. And, you know, because I, I think that – I don't think this is a, a specific, an Apple – 
specific problem, I think, that most software companies, as they keep on adding all these features and as they build a certain workflow, and we know that a lot of times Apple has a certain workflow in mind when they build their applications, that they need to um, make sure that people understand what that workflow is. Yeah. You know, and I think that some, and, and, it, and I think it puts more pressure on building lots of training. And they do a lot of training for a lot of these, but I think that they really have to um, you know, make sure that the application is coming with that training and making sure people get up ramped up quickly, not four hours of video that is just a screen capture, but like really showing people how all that stuff works to, um, to make sure that they're, they're following and understanding the pipeline yeah. that it goes into. Cause if you don't understand the pipeline in aperture, um, you can make a real mess real quick and then you don't want to use it anymore. So, so just to, to close this topic off, um, there's been a, a rise in the software as a service online applications like, uh, Picnic and Photoshop.com and things like that. Is that a direction that these need, these apps need to go where you don't have to go buy a disk and install? You just go log on to some site and manage your photos and edit them there? Or is that you know, just too far in the future? Every time I pull the trigger, it's 25 megs. I have a hard time and I pull well, the trigger Well, that's you, often. though. For the average person that's shooting, like, JPEGs and, yeah, maybe, you know. maybe. You know, that, that might be the case. I, I think that, uh, I just think that more and more people are shooting raw, you know, what I mean, you know, I, I think that, and I think that. By the way, if you're listening to this show and you're shooting, if you're not and you're not shooting raw, you're crazy. Hang up now. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to hang up. Get you out. Keep on just, listening. You don't even want to talk. But I mean, to you. You just, there are anybody, so you many know. times when I have a photo that doesn't look like it came out, and then I go in there and recover it, and I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad I wasn't shooting JPEG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just it happens so often for me. Yeah. Um, that I just you know I think that people need to. In fact, I'm I'm getting excited. One of the videos we're going to do, it hopefully in January, February, is I'm I'm going to buy a Canon point and shoot, mm-hmm. and then we're going to do the CDHK. Oh, you're going to hack it? Yeah. Oh, we're gonna, firmware we're, hacking. We're going to start doing. Well, it's not firmware hacking. It's actually uh, it's loading uh, the a new operating system onto it, but you're actually not changing the firmware, mm. so that theoretically, you know, you can get it back to its base state if you want to. And what is um, what is just. What does that do? Just because I've seen well, the cameras of that online, but I'm like, you know, so I've I been doing some research, and it's what's 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 interestingly what the hardest part is finding out where to buy the cameras because the cameras with stable uh, CDHK um, development uh, are oftentimes harder to find because they're the ones that have been out for a while. So you have to like there's a whole new line of Canons that have come out in the fall, and all of those are not really stable cdhk um solutions yet and so cdhk is this open source project of course and the idea is that let's open up what the camera can do so you can have it be it'll shoot raw you can have it do crazy time lapse you can have it shoot hdrs you can program it to take scripts you can take you know there's all kinds of extra features because it's just firmware and the thing that i'm most excited about related to cdhk and by the way i'm not suggesting people at home try it immediately why do you need all this stuff like the the Changing the operating system of the camera, you're saying it's not good enough well, out of the box. The thing for is, you? is that you buy you buy these little cameras, and one of the ways that that Canon and Nikon and everyone else um, separates the quality of the cameras, like you know why this one's 129 dollars and this one's 259 and this mm-hmm. one's 359 or whatever, partially is the set of software features that they decide to turn on or turn off mm-hmm. related to that. Well, CDHK just kind of unwraps all of that. But it's, you know, those features are the ones the ones that they turn on, presumably, are the ones that they've had the resources to test and they feel comfortable enough to absolutely. Let them this is a wild go out to the like, public, and, right? And, 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 and this is a message to Canon. The only reason that I'm put, that I'm installing CDHK personally, the only reason I'm interested in it is because you don't wait, hold on. There we go. <laughs> for you, you audio listeners, Alex has changed the camera I to changed a, the camera uh, so I can point into an it. Uncle the Sam reason, pointer. <laughs> the reason that I'm doing the CDHK is because Canon and Nikon will not put 
uh, a fully featured time lapse system into their into their little point and shoot cameras. That's all I want. It's all I want is to be able to do time lapse and have complete control over my time lapse. Mm-hmm. And and they're wiser than me and they've decided that no one really cares about that and i care a lot about it so i'm going to start hacking cameras and we're going to start doing videos about hacking cameras and it's all because they won't put time lapse so canon you brought this on yourself is what you're saying <laughs> that's all i'm saying i'm saying and you know what i i'm sure that they're really upset about it in fact they probably don't care at all yeah no, no one's listening. they're like uh yeah um yeah we don't care all right all right a ton of other things to talk about the first thing at the top of the list here and at the top of my list is that megapixel race is it over Ooh, I think it's getting close. Or is it? And basically, the the, the question is increasing megapixel counts versus increasing light sensitivity of sensors. Which one did we come? Have we have we hit the 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 apex of that argument? Or? I think we're getting there. I mean, I, I know for me, I have more megapixels than I need, and what I really want is light sensitivity. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, that's all I care about now. From a camera, do consumers know oh, except that, for time lapse, of course. Remember, you're you're the Uber time. consumer. Do consumers understand that megapixels? Aren't the end all be all anymore? Here's the th- here's all I would say about that is that I think that if consumers saw a camera that shot like let's say a a, 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 a D3s, mm-hmm. if if a consumer the best said I could buy, world, I, I know. <laughs> if a consumer saw a still camera and they showed night shots taken, because I think consumers shoot in poor lighting far more often than professionals do. Parties, clubs, you know, light low low light sensitivity would be far more important to the consumer, in my opinion, than to the professional. But do they know? Do they think, oh, if I get... Because the average... Like Christmas process. time, you know, the, the kid says, Mom, I want to point and shoot for Christmas. They go look at the shelf and they say, oh, look at that one. That number's bigger than that one and it costs more. Therefore, I should get that one. You I know? definitely think consumers are not wise to that. And um, I mean, of course, for me, getting the 5D Mark II and having that many more megapixels has made such a huge difference to me. But as someone who's just you know, taking snaps with a point and shoot, would it really, I mean, it's already ridiculous. I remember shooting with a 3.2 megapixel camera and having decent shots. Yeah. I think that whether they know it or not, this gets into where Apple usually comes in, you know, Canon and Nikon and Fuji and Sony and all these other companies kind of need to take a, take a thing out of the, uh, a little piece out of what apple does which is guide people towards what they need <laughs> rather yeah. than rather than you're not waiting for people that, that, that are they going to know or not that's mm-hmm. not the point the point is they, get they don't there. guide people towards what they need they just remove the things that they don't need and reveal oh wow you're right this is what you all always i really wanted. needed was what's in this iphone i don't right. need all that other crazy well, stuff and, and that's yeah. the thing and so the thing is is that is um that is the thing i think that makes the most difference joseph what do you think well, I'm, I'm going to definitely agree that the sensitivity is more important now than, than the more resolution, uh, especially for the consumer base. And the consumers, most consumers don't ever print, right? They, if they print, they're probably never going to do bigger than an 8 by 10 in which case, what, I think probably 8 megapixel or even less than that is sufficient. Uh, on the pro side, you know, I do take advantage of every last megapixel, and there have been times when, when I could have used more. So even at, you know, 22, 23 megapixel, um, it isn't always enough, and that's why there is a market still for things like the the Hasselblad that go up to what forty megapixel or something. And yeah. I guess the rumor for the One D S Mark IV is uh, approaching forty megapixels. So that's that's huge. And there, of course, are people that are going to use it. But yes, for ninety percent of the photographers or more out there, uh, noise sensitivity is where it's at, and that's jo- what's needed. Joseph, as a pro, where where do you like over two thousand nine? What was the percentage of of your work that you shared online versus via print? versus other means um oh i don't know percentage but i mean everything 
pretty much everything goes online to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I then, mean, primarily as it's in destination, it's going to be archived in the disk and you spit out a is, file yeah, that's going somewhere. Online. No, primarily it is online. The, the biggest jobs that I had this year were for online work. Um, but I'm not going to use a different camera, a lower resolution camera, if I know that it's supposedly only going to go online because if it does need to get printed, the client does decide they want to print, which, of course, you know, I want to push them to because I want to sell the bigger prints. Then, um, you know, I want to make sure that resolution is there. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Lisa? Where, where does your work go uh, when you when you're shooting um, professionally? Mainly online. I haven't had many sort of print jobs and that's actually something i was thinking about the other day is that i never print my pictures mm-hmm. ever i mean when you see your image you know and it's all in its glory on your you know 24 inch imac it's i mean it's a beautiful thing I, I, it just can't be reproduced for me in print and i don't have the money or the capability to get a printer that's going to give me that quality and i never really think to do it actually i have pretty white bare walls at the moment and I was yeah. thinking maybe I should put up some of my shots but you know I've I have like a little mini printer that prints sort of four by sixes but they're they look horrible yeah it's like some of the the few people that I I that I know of and you know I'm sure I'll be corrected that print regularly are wedding shooters because they're shooting mm-hmm. for the album you know, and that's that's the output mm. right there. Mostly everybody else, unless you're shooting for a newspaper magazine or something like that, you're you're primarily, especially if you're an advanced amateur, you're gonna be sharing your stuff online. It's going on Flickr, it's going on your blog, or it's going someplace like Smug Mug where you can share it with a million people. So I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I want the I want more pixels, but I I want my cake and I want to eat it too. I want more light sensitivity too. Not, I want everything. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the other thing that was why do we have to make was, a compromise? And this is something that was mentioned on the on the uh, IRC as well. Mm-hmm. Is that um, you know frame rate is you know it's one thing to get video, and then some of these cameras now that are doing these the slow motion options. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that. That's going to become one of those things that I think we're going to see in a lot of cameras. It's just yeah. a little extra tchotchke. You know that the Casio has kind of gotten ahead on, but I think yeah. we're going to see more of that because like, I, I, I have to right? say that. 240 frames a second is is uh, mesmerizing. The bees knees. You know, so just, you shoot a lot of video. For, especially for... Well, I shoot a lot of video. That, so this, that's kind of stupid, crazy video. But you don't share... Where's your video going? Like I was asking these guys, you know, you're, they share their prints online primarily. You shoot a lot of video with your digital with your 5D Mark II. It's all we, it's all we bought them for. But it, where's it going? Um, we Most of our video is going on the web. See? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's the going web. on the web. The and web. It's, it's, uh, now, the thing to remember when we say going on the web is that YouTube now is taking 1080p video. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're not talking about... Uh, I don't think we're... I've even heard that they're now starting to put out monitors that are doing uh, 20, 27, 20 or something like that. You know, the, the double... I'm sorry, 29... Uh, like 4K, something, 39. I'm sorry, 30. Number. Yeah, it's like they're like going to the next... They're trying to make it higher resolution and my whole thing is, is I think that 1080p is probably as, as big as we need to get for a long time. Yeah. But the... Um, uh, I mean, that's just made by electronics companies that want to sell more monitors. But, but I think that... Uh, so when I think about that, I mean, to me, you know, I shoot everything at 1080p um, when I'm shooting video. And I do think that, that convergence, I think that was another thing we were talking about. I think that you can't, you're not going to be able to sell a camera without video um, inside of uh, the next, you know, year or two, unless it's like really high-end professional. And if you're, if, just like as an example of really high-end web video, where's that address where you, you shot a video of... <laughs> 
Alex Alex did a video uh, I was for, being for silly. Leo's thing. Right? I was being silly. All right, where is it? It's, it's on a, Vidly. It's vid.ly. Don't go now if you're listening to the show live. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. suck up your bandwidth. But yeah, so, um, uh, so make anyway, a note. <laughs> but it's it was uh, Leo asked for for us to um, you know do some. Uh, you know what we thought were big video, and I talked about video on the web, which mm-hmm, was my mm-hmm. thing. And and uh, so I so I have to admit that I, you know, it was Sunday morning. I was kind of goofing around, and I figured, you know, I don't feel like just using my web camera. So I pulled out the seven D and threw a fifty millimeter on it, and it it turned out. I mean, it looked it looked pretty. I mean, it was it looked really good. <laughs> That's some of the best web video I've ever seen, unless it's like you know a an Avatar trailer or something. It was right, really crisp. Well, and, and all it was is all I did is just I did. I, I have to admit, I rotated. Uh, in front of the um, window, but I didn't mm-hmm. do any lights. I just kind of was in the. It was just window light. Yeah, but I just kind of I did turn it a little bit to get the lighting that I wanted. Yeah, but, but that it was, was like it. that's straight out of the camera, right? Did you tweak that it? Was all? The, no, I didn't tweak it at all. It was just it was just me. Just I just did it. I made it smaller. The it turned into a little bit of a process to do it. Uh-oh. So I decided that oh, I was. Oh, so you did. So you took it into color. And no, you no, no, edited. no, 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 no. I didn't do anything. No, 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 no. It, it was it, that was raw out of the camera. It, what what turned into a process was, of course, I set the camera up, and then I realized. I have no idea what the camera's seeing. So then I and then I was like, oh well, I'll just put it in my laptop. But I didn't have the EOS utility, which Canon kindly doesn't put up online. You have to have the disc for it, which is down at the office. And then I had to. Oh. So then I downloaded the Shareware app, <laughs> and then I got this thing, and then I became an Alex day. Take, then I could only turn one photo. I could I could hit this photo, but of course it wasn't a Shareware. It was a it was it was like an annoying Shareware that like every four pictures it said, "Are you sure you don't want to buy it?" And I'm, I'm like. No, no, I just want to. T- I just want to know where my camera's pointed. I don't even want to take pictures, you know. So anyway, that that's um. Uh, so it, it what turned what thought what I thought would be a ten minute process turned into something. Well, like the, the point of that is go check it out. Vid.ly, right? Go VID. check it out. And, and I guess they can just search for Alex Lindsay on there to find the clip because I know. think they can. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it, it's it's near the top. I don't. I guess I think more people are looking at it because of the technical yeah. um, but fun. If people listen to this in the future, you know, presumably months later, vid.ly yeah. search for Alex, search Alex Lindsay, Lindsay and yeah. you should be able to find it. It's a really really cool clip. So. Anyway. Is that the norm now? I mean, do you think do you think in 2010, 2011, 2012 that um, if a DSLR doesn't have video on it, it's kind of substandard? It's not. They, they just yes. want to make them. because I know photographers that are like, I don't want anything video related on my camera. Well, you don't have to use it. There's a yeah, lot of features on your. They're paying on your... for it. Not really. Yeah, they're paying for it. Not well, really. it's kind of like buying Photoshop. Here's, right? here's all it was. You're you like, the... I only use these four fe- features in Photoshop, but. You know, it can yeah, be 3D and video editing and all this other yeah, stuff. But the, the, I guess the thing is, is that is that the, what your what happened was is these engineers had a live view coming out of the camera, which a lot of still photographers want. You want to have a monitor that you're looking at when you're taking pictures in a studio, mm-hmm. and they just you know we, we should capture that feed. <laughs> there wasn't you know it's not much. Yeah. There's not now they're adding more detail to it and they're putting little buttons into it. But for the reason that you have it, it was just because it, it's they already had built the entire subsystem to do that. Yeah. I mean, jo- Joseph, do you th- would you buy a camera without? Um, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, I don't shoot that much video. I do have one camera. I have the 5D Mark II, so I do have that for video. But you just um, want it because you want it. You don't want it because you need it, right? Right. Well, I did need it for the 5D, and I have it on the 5D. Um, would I buy another Pro SLR, DSLR that didn't have it? Sure, because I've got it on the 5D, and that's you know that's fine for my needs. But I'm agreeing with you though that that, that no big pro camera is going to come out without it anymore. You just and can't. Even, Joseph, even when you <clears throat> excuse me, when you were on tour with Seal. You had your 5D Mark II with you, but you didn't shoot video of him. You shot video interviews of him with your iPhone, right? Well, no, that's true. I did shoot video interviews with the iPhone. However, I did shoot video with the 5D as well. Oh, okay. Okay. And what, what was it like of the actual performance or of the behind performance, the scenes yeah, stuff? Yeah, I shot the uh, 
one of the sets uh, called the Soul Medley is three songs kind of mixed together um, that I shot every 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 instance of that song of that set throughout the whole tour. I shot on video. Okay. So I've got uh, what twenty four versions of that on video to cut together at some point. Okay. And Lisa, <laughs> Lisa, are you are you shooting video at all, or are you you just strictly still? Um, to be honest, I thought I would shoot more video. Um, because I do shoot a lot of video, but it's not practical for just, you know, my Hey Mostly Lisa videos. Mm -hmm. But I am, what I'm doing is sort of consistently, if I see something cool, I will just take a a video of it. And then I'm hoping that over time, I'll be able to sort of make a compilation video of all the footage that I've been taking. Like when I was in um, DC, I was taking some footage with uh, the Lens Baby composer and kind of doing some cool stuff there. But Really, video for me just comes down to the the sheer amount of time it takes to edit it and uh, do all that stuff. And, and I feel like now I would have to use something like color or After Effects to make it look sort of cool. Yeah. And being a perfectionist, I just... Yeah, it's weird because video, video on the web is before, you know, in the last couple of years, especially when YouTube first became popular, is like... Oh, you could just put up anything and it would be okay. But now as tools progress and mm-hmm. people can do all this cool stuff and make it look really professional, that kind of video is becoming less and less acceptable. And, you know, the the uh, the level of acceptability is or the bar has been pushed up to the, well, almost the Alex level. With, yeah. If, I mean, if you look at um, the Vimeo HD channel, there's so many amazing things. And I think... Um, as, as sort of someone who does do a lot of processing, um, I want my video to look the same as my photos. Yeah. And, of course, that's going to take time. And um, and also, I didn't really realize how difficult it would be. Yeah. To, yeah, there's a lot to, to shoot it. Video. It's not just, you know, you're used to sort of like a flip cam and just pressing, you know, but this is a whole big deal. And my first experience was at an aquarium. Of course, I chose like the worst thing ever to take pictures of, a shark, you know, coming by. And it, I mean, it's really tricky. And, and if, if you're a photographer that isn't used to shooting manual, I mean, it really kind of blows your mind a little. Right, right. That's a really fair observation because a lot of photographers think, oh, well, I'll get a camera with a video and then I can shoot video. Let's say you're a wedding photographer. And you go, well, I can get a video camera and I can be the videographer as well. And people mm-hmm. do not realize until they really try it like you have that it's not that easy. There is a lot more to it than just pointing the camera and pushing a button. And there's a lot of things you have to think about at the same time. You got to, you know, like you said, manual exposure. You got to usually focus manually. And uh, obviously, there's composition, lighting, everything else to think of, and it's happening at 24 times a second. It's yeah. not easy. Not to mention the all the audio things that you have to worry about. So, and editing yeah. it, and then storing it, finding some place to store these gigantic files. So it just, you know, it's is a lot of things to consider rather than just, you know, hey, now my subject is in motion. You know, there's there's everything. So on the uh, so on the subject of Canon, since we're talking, they're the leader in this video stuff um there's a new or they announced the 1d mark IV. joseph mm-hmm. i know you probably know all about it if you don't have one yet what's what's to do with the <laughs> camera and are you getting one um no i will probably hold out for the 1ds that's that'll be my big holdout um but what's new about it it's it's big it's fast it's really really good low light sensitivity and of course it shoots video better than anything else out there so far 
the biggest kind of announcement or thing that came out with that was, of course, Vincent Lafrey's Nocturne video, which, mm-hmm. for those of you that saw it when it was first released, was fantastic, made the rounds, got pulled off of his site and uploaded to every other video sharing website out there. And then um, for reasons that are not completely understood, Canon requested that it be pulled. It disappeared for a while, and then it actually just came back last week. So mm-hmm. that video is up and live again. Where is that live at? Uh, you can go to Vincent's site to see it, uh, Vincent Lafrey. Actually, I guess Lafrey or blog.lafreyvisuals.com. I, well, I, think, I think this is when, when, the, when, the, when the Mark IV was uh, released a couple months ago. I think that this came out. So it's right. been kind of bouncing around for a while. And it, it, yeah. Much like the 7D, I think that what you're seeing is Canon progressing. So mm-hmm. the 5D is a great video camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got great video stuff on it, but you can definitely see that they, they learned a lot from the 5D mm-hmm. and, and moved All on. All those to 5D the, Mark II beta testers? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and, and, and they, it, it was a revolution when it came out, um, and, but the 7D definitely feels more like a video camera. I haven't used the, the, the uh, 1D yet. Have you, have you played with the 7D? I have two of them. You have two of them. Yeah. So, okay, what's the, what's the delta between the two? What are the main things that the 5D Mark II <laughs> shooters are lusting after? Um, so the 7D is, uh, number one is it feels more like a video camera. You have actually a video start stop and a little video switch and it, and it has a little bit more of a, a video feel to it. It does 24 frames a second instead mm-hmm. of 30 frames a second. So it's really kind of moving that more that direction. Uh, it is, um, those are the, to me, those are the big things that I've noticed. Cause I, I, I have both, um, especially over the break because no one's using them at the office. Mm-hmm. I've got, <laughs> my, my, my home life is fairly nice. I got a couple 70s and a 5D sitting around and nice. so I've been doing lots of Well, it of helps tests. to be the CEO too, right? Yeah, well, no. <laughs> hey, they're sitting in my house or they're sitting in the office. And so right they're going to say, no, Mr. CEO, you can't take this camera. <laughs> hey, I didn't it was security. There was not a lot of people in the office over the over the break, and I thought maybe I should keep them safe at home. So, uh, so, I have, so I have all these different lenses that I've been shooting with, and and um and because I've been trying to test exactly what you're asking, which is what do I like about the different cameras. So one thing that I noticed is that obviously you have a shorter depth of field with the 5D than you have with the 7D. It's a it's a full frame sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have better sensitivity. So low light, you it is significant drop in quality when you get to like 3200 ISO yeah. on a 7D versus a 5D. Mm-hmm. You can really notice it. On the Canon. On the Canon. On the Canon. <laughs> Speaking. So, the, uh, so anyway, so but but the video, the Nikon, is is way more sensitive um, mm-hmm. than, the, than the, the Canon, I believe. But, but, sensitive. I, but, but I also um, will say that the video hasn't caught up yet. So I think that if I was going to buy a video camera, a, an SLR as a video camera, I'd get a Canon. If I was purely buying a still camera as a, um, you know, to, to get it, I would get an Nikon. Because right now I think the Nikon is a better low-light sensitivity. I yeah. hope... That what we see at PMA, yeah, um, is uh, we'll both be at. We will both. We uh, everyone, everyone watching, Mm -hmm. you'll all be with us because we're going to shoot like a crazy amount of video there. So, uh, the, but what I'm hoping to see there is see Nikon, see Canon continue to progress and really progress down the low light performance, and see Nikon really progress in the The video video performance. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's a fun time to be around. I mean, and and the takeaway even from our earlier discussions earlier in the show about aperture and lightroom the takeaway is these tools all these tools are just amazing you know you can do all this crazy stuff with it that wasn't possible just a few years ago so you know in in the end even though you know we're talking about a lot of gear we're talking about a lot of software on the show i just want to hit home the point that you just want to be shooting you know shooting with whatever you have whether it's a phone or it's a you know a d3s with 102,400 iso be out there shooting and stop talking about shooting all the time like we do, you know. <laughs> yeah, read, yeah. read read your articles on different tips and techniques and go try those tips and techniques. Don't just go on to the next one. 
take your stuff out and try it. So, That's something we're going to be focusing on a lot, I know, on the Pixel Core. There's a new Pixel Core membership coming out in, in January, and, and we're going to be sending people out on, assignments. go shoot this, yep. you know, and, and um, to make sure that people are really kind of getting their, their head around it. Yeah. So what's need a little kick in the butt. The Nikon D3S. Like I was just saying, with that 102,400 ISO. Now, I haven't, I, I actually got my hands on a D3S. Um, uh, it was about a week or so ago from our friends over at borrowlenses.com. They let me play with one for a couple of days uh, with, with the new 70 to 200 VR2 lens, by the way. So, this holding that thing in my hand was like state of the art camera stuff and a good workout how sexy was that i I felt like a superhero you know i I felt like a superhero with a suit that i had to give back later you know (laughs) so but it was amazing i mean you know sitting with because i have my d3 with my old uh 70 to 200 lens on it and the new d3s with the new 7200 vr lens on it when you look at them at a glance if you're a layman it's like yeah yeah okay looks great but shooting with that the the D3S is faster it's smarter i mean it it i think it's telepathic <laughs> it's telepathic cuz if i'm framing if i'm framing a scene with you in it right here i mean yeah of course it's going to look at the the, con, the the tonal ranges and say okay you must be the subject but if i change my mind and don't change my composition that much but now i want that camera behind you to be in focus it knows. <laughs> so you, know, you know what's funny is it is that knows that I want that to be the subject now. I have know? to try. You know, I, I think that one of the things I noticed over the over the uh, Christmas break while I was shooting lots of photos and yeah. kind of low light and Christmas lights and all this other stuff, my kids, you know, bouncing around, and I noticed that the first thing that I do with a camera, you know, they, I hear about all this autofocus stuff and everything yeah. else, and the first thing I do with my camera is I as I change all the all the focusing to spot in the center. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want it to do. Don't think. Don't think for me. And I think part of that's because I have a short depth of field. Is that if it chooses the nose instead of the eye, I'm screwed. Yeah, you know, like I shoot really short depth of field most of the time, especially in low light. I just I'm wi- I'm not quite wide open. I give a 1.4. I'll typically shoot at two, you know, because it on the 5D or whatever, because mm-hmm. I find that the can- the lens is a little sharper um, at two than it is at 1.4. And oh. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we, now we, Joseph, we, I know, uh, has a. 1.2 50 millimeter lens. Is that correct, mm-hmm. Joseph? That is correct. Now, do you shoot with that thing wide open all the time? Because your your depth of field is like a centimeter. Right? Yeah, no, not all it? the time, definitely. But I do shoot wide open quite a bit with that lens. I love that lens. Yeah, it's just a it's a thing of beauty. It, it absolutely is a thing of beauty. And that's the lens. When I first got that lens, um, I got it shortly before I took a, a holiday in Europe, and I decided to take just that one lens with me. And I know I've talked about this kind of a workflow on the podcast before of just working with a single fixed focal length lens to kind of re-educate yourself, if you will. You know, we, we tend to rely on having so many lenses. Like, oh, I've got five different zoom lenses with me and, and, you know, I can cover anything. Go out for a week with just that one fixed focal length lens and, um, you know, it doesn't matter how much experience you have, you'll definitely learn something about yourself and your own style of shooting. And that was the lens that I chose to do that with. And it is a thing of beauty. Uh, and the one, thing, the one thing I'd say is that I went for like six months with only the 50 millimeter Oh. You know, on my camera, just as a as a process, exactly yeah, what Joseph was talking a, about, like, like a monk on the mountain, not talking. For it was. Kind of I took a lot of good photos. That's all I gotta say. I mean, you, that you, was actually you know, my first lens as yeah. well, the the fifty one four, and I shot with that probably for about a year and a half before yeah. I I was able to buy another lens. That's a really <laughs> and, good exercise. I mean, even I, I, people ask me like, how do I take pictures of kids? They like the pictures that I, you know, some of the ones that I posted. My whole thing is, if there's one camera that you get when you have kids. And, and I think almost everybody in my family, the, every person in my family that has a um, that has kids, which is all but one. Oh, actually, 
all of us do. So the uh, but all all of one of us ha- have it. We have a, a, a camera with an SLR camera with a fifty millimeter, like one point eight minimum, if not one point four or, or something else. And man, you look at my parents' photos on the wall, and it just looks different. Yeah. I mean, it looks different than anybody else's house that you walked into. And you have a bunch. Of, you got you know uh, you know five different families that are all having you know shooting all this stuff, and they're all shooting with short depth of field. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like you're. It looks like someone from Time Magazine hangs out with the family all the yeah. time. You know, and it's it's just a that is the if, if you're ha- if you're having kids and you're listening to the show, you need an SLR. It doesn't matter Nikon, Canon. Mm-hmm. Then get a really fast fifty and ha- make sure that you have that as your kids' camera. To start with, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to cost you four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, and it, and I guarantee you will not regret. And another know, tip, it. another tip, if you if when you're when you're going that route and you have your, that SLR and a fifty mil lens on it, for God's sake, get closer. You know, don't don't like, be on the other side of the room taking pictures of people and then cropping it in the computer. Right. Get in people's faces with the fifty. And, you know, throw that background out of focus because that's what makes these images that Alex is talking about. It's not being across the room and shooting a, a giant scene with it and, you know, making a snapshot. It's taking five steps forward and filling and, the frame with your son and or daughter's and those, face. And those are the photos you put on the wall. Yeah. Those, those are the are ones not, that are like, who not, shot that? That's amazing. Those wide yeah. shots of people. I mean, you want to get that every once in a while and you mm-hmm. want to capture as much of that. But those aren't the ones that you remember. Those yep. aren't, aren't the ones I remember, you know, yeah. when I when I put it up. And that's something And that's something that took me a long time to learn. I used to take a lot of wide shots. I used to mm-hmm. take a lot. You yeah. Know, like people are shy. And Joseph, as you, as you progress through your photographic career, um, that... How hard was it for you to sort of break through that comfort level of, you know what, I'm just going to use a zoom and zoom in on these people or I'm going to throw on the 50 and actually tap them on the shoulder and get in their face. I've seen some shots from you from, I don't know, what, China when you're out there for the Olympics and you're like really close on people. How do you sure. how do you do that? And when did you how did you make that switch between being shy and, you know, shy with the zoom lens and outgoing with a 50? Well, there, there's times for both. I don't think it's a case of, of being shy with one or the other. It's just there are uh, there are times for both. If you have a 50 and you're in somebody's face, they know you're, they're, that their picture's being taken, right? There's no question about it. But with a long lens standing across the street or whatever, you can capture people when they don't know they're being photographed, which, you know, it's a whole other issue itself. But you get images that you wouldn't normally get. People Once people know there's a camera on them, they tend to smile or they tend to look away or they have a reaction to it. No matter what the reaction is, there <laughs> or they is chase a reaction. You with sticks. <laughs> or they chase you with sticks. You captured they my soul. <laughs> Give me a, yeah. Well, no, actually, in China, it's amazing. And you, you, you get out the camera and all the kids around want to have their picture taken. So it's impossible to not take picture of people, especially younger people. They all want to have their picture taken. Um, but anyway, the point being that the, the longer lens gives you the opportunity to get pictures that you just otherwise wouldn't get. So there's there's a time for both. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break uh, to uh, give a nod to another one of our sponsors, Audible.com. They're the leading provider in spoken, spoken word entertainment. Spoken, they've got they've spoken got word over, entertainment. Spoken okay. word Entertainment. Entertainment. How many? How many titles do they have? To over fifty-five thousand, but I think it's. I, I, I believe it's actually over sixty-five thousand. We in our notes. Our notes are old. They say fifty thousand. No, they, they, you, they're like recording these things like like crazy. When you download those, do you have to just listen to them on your computer. No, you can listen to them anywhere. <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> We're really, Alex? Anywhere? No. So you know, and I, you know, the, th- the thing is, is like what I love is that I have this huge library on my on my iPhone all the time. You know, it's, I have literally all the and and I just. I know that I, I think I talk about this on the show. I really don't. I go, I, if I look at books and I open them up in the bookstore and they have lots of text, I just go, yeah, this is really a good one for Audible. And then I search to find out if it's on Audible yet. And if it's not, I wait. Interesting. Yeah. So you prefer to consume your books 
I won't. If, if it doesn't have a lot of pictures, big. <laughs> I, no, literally. If it has and a lot so of pictures, you, I go. So maybe is, your, just, is your hooked on phonics book an audible book or? Is <laughs> I can't read. No, no. I uh, if it, I, I, I just find I find. Here's the problem: is when you're reading a book, yeah. and it doesn't have any pictures, and it's just text, and it's just information. It's unitasking. And we all know how, how we all feel, how mm-hmm. I feel about unitasking. Right. I don't believe in unitasking. Look, look at me. I'm, I'm mixing. ADD. We're talking. And we're like, you yeah. know, I, I need, I need. So, like for me, I find that I feel like reading a book is a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time if I'm not cleaning. Always, it's though. not it a waste of time if I'm cleaning my house at the same time. Right. See, I, I'm but not doing then, anything thinking. I'm just kind of walking you know, around. The, the, you know, I, and I love audible books. I love podcasts, and I'm in the middle of a couple of audible audible books right now, including the Four Hour Work Week. Uh, but. What I find though is I'm rewinding from time to time on chapters because if I'm if I'm multitasking, which I'll normally do, because you don't want to just sit there like a drone listening, you're going to be doing something else. But if I'm doing something else, then my brain is going to be focused on that thing. I'll still hear the audio, like I'm cleaning my house. I'm going to be cleaning my house, and then I'll say, "Oh, what did he just say?" For, See, like, for the last problem. thirty minutes, you know, I'll have to rewind. When, I, when and I'm cleaning again. my house, it's, cleaning my house is really like a lower brain operation. Yeah, I can. My I can because you're cleaning your house is hey maids, go clean my house, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's just that I, I have I'm in four hours of meetings. I actually have to clean my house. I'm in, I'm in like three or four hour three or four hours of phone meetings a day and um to kind of manage stuff and so I'm used to I have this thing where I don't do any of my surfaces. Like I don't clean any of my surfaces during the day mm-hmm. and it's in the morning or when I'm listening to Audible. And so it's not very hard because I'm just sitting there like making sure that there's no little water. What are what are you listening to right now? Uh, I am still I'm still listening to the I keep on going in and out of the glass castle which I've talked about a couple times which is really good I can only handle it a certain amount at a time um, and then uh, uh, but I'm uh, I'm also I got into Freakonomics which I oh, which I just yeah. downloaded yeah and then I got on I, I also am listening to Howie Mandel's uh, Just Don't Touch Me Here's the Deal Don't Touch Me comedy. which I think is funny no no it's it's like it's kind of comedy it's kind of him being himself which is comedy. which is comedy yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so so it's um, but anyway he's 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 a little into germs so so anyway so he's so he's a germaphobe like, is a that germaphobe. and so really is that so why he shaved I, I, his I head was, what is that why he shaved his head off i don't know i think you just lose or his hair. hair off not his head off his head off <laughs> hair hair <laughs> he wasn't nearly as expressive <laughs> after he started anyway so so those are the those are what, what are you listening to i am listening to uh timothy ferris's the four hour work week again I've listened to it like five times, and every time I listen to it again, I get something new out of it. So I, it's really good until you get to the last like third of the it. URL. Fill this out and go to this URL. Well, yeah, because like, they read whoever's narrating it is has reads all the URLs, including the HTTP colon slash slash www for every URL in there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. for that, and you know, I think I'm gonna actually have to buy the book because there's like a ton of cool URLs in there, right. but I never get to you know actually go to them. Anyway, so that's what I'm listening to. So if you want to um, try out an audible.com. I can't believe you'd be listening to this for very long and not, we, we talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. but it's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash T-W-I-P. So check it out. Make us look cool. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. All right. We're going to hit on a couple more twi- or uh, trends before we... Uh Go to the questions. Go to the questions. Um, the do you guys? I know you guys are looking in the notes before I uh, pick one in here. Is there anything in there that you that's jumping out at you that you want to talk about? Ritz camera. Ritz camera. Who are they? Well, that's the problem, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Ritz just, camera. I'm gonna get so much trouble. It's the end Ritz. of the year, and I'm starting to 2010 off wrong. I know. know. You know. I was like, I, I was trying to talk to someone. Anyway, Fred, Fred and I just crack each other up for some reason. You get us in the same room. So the Ritz camera camera, uh, goes files for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I think that this is a how many how many of us actually buy go to the only store that I think I go to to buy ph- photographic equipment is B and H when I'm in New York. Mm-hmm. Like I walk into B and H because it's got everything that I'm looking for. Yep. Um, and, and and I don't really think about going to photographic stores that often. There's one right around the corner here, mm-hmm. and every time I'm in a bind. I go over there to buy a lens. Like, oh, I need a 1.4. I need another 1.4. I need this. I need that. I'm there ready to buy it, and they never have what I need, mm. ever. And I feel bad for them, but I'm just kind of like, you know, I, I've, I've literally walked out of that store around the corner. Um, there's $3,000 that, that I would have spent with them over the last year that I just then went to Amazon and said, well, I'm not going to have it today. Yep. I'll have it in three days, and it'll be, it'll be here. My last experience with a, with a, a Ritz camera, actually, it was a Ritz camera. Oh. I was on a photo walk in Palo Alto, California, walking around. I think it was Palo Alto. Maybe it was Mountain View. Anyway, I want to mix it up so I don't get anybody in trouble. Uh, it was a Northern California Ritz camera. Um, I had mistakenly brought my two gigabyte, I think it's either two or four gigabyte CF cards. So I'm like, you know what? I need another one. I'm just going to go in and pick up a eight or a 16 because we were walking by the Ritz camera. So I go in, I ask the salesperson like, Hey, um, let's need a, uh, eight or a 16 gigabyte Lexar compact, compact flash card. Um, and the, uh, the guy says, what is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> he said, what's a CF? What? You know, I was like, compact flash memory card you know that goes in the camera he had to go to the back to ask somebody what that, <laughs> what that meant as he was in the back of the store i left the store never to return again so that you know and then i now i just buy everything online you know unless it's an emergency i mean which i haven't really had a photographic emergency so yeah no, know. and that's the hard part it's hard for them to compete i mean it's, it's hard for a brick and mortar to compete um, but they have to. Fe- you have to feel like you're you're going to get connected, you know. And so anyway, so Ritz Lisa, camera- Lisa, when was the last time you bought camera gear from a brick and mortar retailer? Um, I actually have a really amazing store in Vancouver that I always go to called Bow Photo, and they rent lenses for mm. really reasonable prices. And I mean, I actually don't own that much photo gear. I mean, I bought my five. 5D Mark II, and I have three prime lenses that I use all the time, and everything else I will rent. So if I need a 7200 for some reason, I will rent that. And um, so I really love them. And um, when I when I'm sort of thinking about buying, say, a new photo bag or a new strap, I go down there and I talk to them, and they're mm. really friendly. And they, I mean, I don't know. I just kind See, you're of you're social. Like, you have that that social personality. I'm antisocial. I want <laughs> I would like to shop <laughs> in know, the comfort of my office at home. Here's the worst part: is I go I go through the automated checkout at like Walmart or at any any place that makes it available. To avoid human contact. Not because it's faster, just because I don't want to talk to anyone. I just, humans. I, just, I was just like I just go through the whole machine thing. I'm like, oh, and and, and I know that it'll be harder. But I know that some, but it won't get better unless I help them get better, so that That's I right. that I can just go through the to the line. Joseph, Joseph, when did, when was the last time you purchased something from a brick and mortar? Last week, I I, I have a Sammy's in here in Pasadena, so um, I'm oh, on a Sammy's. See, they know what they're doing. Sammy's. Yeah, I'm on a first name basis with the guys in the back room, which is their pro department, and that's where I got my lights and um, I print all my lighting gear, light stands, umbrellas, all that I've bought there. I haven't bought any lenses the last camera body that i got was the 5d mark ii and that i did buy uh bnh yeah it was bnh i tried to buy it locally uh, but they didn't it this wasn't up in uh, this wasn't at sammy's it was when i was still up in the bay area mm-hmm. and they were gonna be it was gonna be a week to two weeks before they had it and i just couldn't wait that long so yeah. i ended up buying it online 
Yeah, B&H. so there's like like Sammy's B and H, of course. Calumet has some good people Calumet, Bear yeah. Images in Palo Alto. Um, and there's good experts like you know, there's a Gassers that's in in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and they yeah. actually have good guys to go in and talk to. And I and I have to admit, if I go in and I have a long conversation about you know with someone who really knows what they're talking about, I do feel like I need to buy it there. Yeah, like I'll, and I, you know, I'll, I'll pay the extra hundred bucks or fifty bucks or whatever because you know I, I feel like and I they had know some that. questions. They know that. Well, and that's what, but that's what they have to, you know, <laughs> so the, they have to do. The, yeah. the, the thing that I think uh, this isn't with cameras, but something that I'm, I'm working on this blog post about this. But the coffee shops, you know, people talk about Starbucks, you know, being this big thing that kind of goes through and, and wipes out little coffee shops. There's a little coffee shop in Pittsburgh called the Beehive, which is the best coffee shop in most of the country, in my mm. opinion. And uh, there's Starbucks opened a across the corner mm-hmm. like had a corner to, to the beehive the beehive since starbucks is open has has tripled in size mm. like literally just keep on taking over the things next to him. and i asked the owner what you know how how that worked and he said he said you know the thing is is that he goes people go to starbucks and then they see us across the street they come over and check us out and it's real artsy and it's really cool and yeah. you know it's, it's a great place to hang out and everything else and they just don't go back to starbucks yeah. you know and so it's been starbucks has been great for them and and the, the reason that i'm that i think that's important to see and i think i talked about it on another show we were doing is that is that people need to get that if they do something original, you know, what you can't do anymore is have just a photo. You can't just have a camera shop. You can't just say, well, I have cameras and I have a couple people here. You have to have some kind of specialty. You have to have something, something truly a value add more than just having the stuff in stock. Um, or you're just never going to be able to compete with online. And, and, and the companies that do that, I think, are going to continue to succeed. And the companies that don't have anything that's really specialized are going to all go under. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't – they can't compete with the Walmarts and the Amazons and the B&H. Well, I mean, I, I would even kick it one level further. I mean, you, looking at how the, the Internet has just flattened out the entire planet, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like the barriers to entry for someone who wants to start up a niche camera store – or if you want to rent lenses, you can go to you know borrow lenses or lens rentals and and rent lenses online. You can you can do a lot of this stuff online. Now I now I'm not arguing that there's not a place for the brick and mortar today. You know for that you know what Lisa needs that that face to face sort of human. You want to ask questions, get answers, feel good about your purchase kind of thing. But as people become more and more more and more sort of in tune with what they want and they're doing their research on online you know and and they're more and more comfortable with buying things from places like amazon and on ebay and stuff like that then it's going to become a no-brainer I mean, for them to get it online right? one of the one of the things that I, I that i've been thinking about is like how do they survive this because i walk now into with red laser i don't know do you use red laser oh I, somebody demoed for me oh a couple gosh. days ago that's amazing i am yeah. ruthless with iphone red app red laser reads barcodes yeah, it reads barcodes and so i sit there and barcode stuff all the time and i do it just to save things and i take pictures of books all the time so i walked into a store locally here in petaluma i bought a couple of the magazines from them, mm-hmm. you know, so I spent 20 or $30 there, but I took pictures of some of the bigger books I didn't want to carry around yeah. and I'm going to go order them on chickens. Chicken, I'm raising chickens. So anyway, so the, uh, um, order them on, ch- is that a new service? Chickens? I'm going to order chickens online. <laughs> I really am. So the, uh, chickens.com, they come, they come in the mail, little boxes. <laughs> and so, so don't the, you want to uh, meet the chickens before you, I mean, look them in the eye? No, I'm just going to have them sent in the mail. So anyway, so the, um, <laughs> So anyway, the uh, that's an old another show. So the uh, <laughs> so I'm working on a show. show. I'm working on a show about it. So so anyway, the um, uh, <laughs> so the point is, is that I take the, I take all these photos, and I was like, you know, this is killing these companies because they spend all the money on the overhead, they spend all this other stuff, and I go through and flick through the Mac book and decide, yeah, that's the book I want. But I don't. For me, it's not even money. It's just that I don't want to carry it. 
Yeah. You know, like I don't want to carry it back. I got a bunch of the stuff I'm right. working on. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that there's some kind of partnership, whether it's a camera store or what. Like I'd love to have a camera store in, in San Francisco mm-hmm. that was partnered with Amazon or partnered with B&H that didn't have any stock or it cost a lot for you to walk oh, out with it. Yeah. And literally I could go in and play with everything and talk to the guys and then order it from Amazon. <laughs> you know, like, But they would get a percentage. They would get their – I mean literally if they took a little bit better, if, if, if Amazon gave them as a brick like and those mortar. those catalog stores. They had those when like in the 80s and 70s where you could walk really in it was just a bunch of glass cases because the problem with catalogs you don't know what it looks it. like you know you don't know what it's going to be like you don't know whether it's going to you know be exactly what you want and being able to walk in and then know you get the same amazon price they'd get their they get yeah, there they as get well paid. well they'd get a percent i mean if, if you go to my website and you order something i get four percent right you know so That's the true. so the idea is that they could get four it can get up to six if you have enough volume mm-hmm. so they could get a minimum of six percent to be honest with so you. they're just big affiliates that's that 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 margin isn't that much worse than what they're it's brick and mortar affiliate marketing is what you're talking about yeah and then you don't what you don't do is keep a lot of stock you keep a lot of breadth with no depth mm-hmm. you know and let, and let people do it i don't know how well that i would know work. people I, like that but i think that borders doesn't borders do that now I mean, you can go into a borders and obviously buy something off the shelf but they have computer terminals in there where you can log into their website and you can browse their entire collection their entire library not just what they have in the store and you can order right there while you're standing there yeah the problem is is that um as a as an amazon prime person i can have it in two days for free uh yeah. from amazon and it costs it usually is less less money and the problem is and i can do that on my iphone i don't even have to go find one of those terminals i can literally be in borders which i'm I've not saying that. that i've ever done yeah. that i have i take a picture yeah. i take a picture of the cover it tells me what it is it tells me what the thing i hit a button it's one click and it's boom i'm done and, and you walk out you know, yeah. walk out you know and and i usually i do buy a lot of books from border, borders because most of the time if i'm walking into borders it's because i need a book right now or i'm yeah. interested in a book right now and i buy a lot of magazines at borders so i do spend a lot of money at borders but I'm more of a barnes and noble kind of guy seems, really seems more organized in there i don't know yeah it's because there's a lot less books <laughs> anyway so so we should move on we're running All out right. of time uh commercial break one last commercial break alex last one for the year you want to oh take it away? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The pressure. So we want to thank uh, Squarespace.com. Of course, Twip Log is done on Squarespace, and I love it. We're, the new front end of, uh, of PixelCore uh, that we're working on right now is on Squarespace, and I love the fact that I can sit there talking to my, my, um, the w- person working on the website with me, and we can change colors, layouts, everything while we're talking. You know, and, mm-hmm. and we're not, there's no coders, there's no, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, like we'll get it done in the next couple of days. It's happening in real time. Yep. Uh, this is optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. Um, you got hundreds of uh, design templates to choose from. Uh, it's all inclusive, so, um, you know, you can uh, you can build, you can have blog modules and forums and photo galleries and, and form builders. Um, you know, you can do, the tracking is great, by the way. I mean, like being able to see where people are going. Um, it's cloud architecture, so you don't have to worry about the servers going down, which yeah. is, we've had that problem. So I'm very sensitive to the fact that I don't have to worry about that. Um, and so, and all of it's kind of drag and drop. So if you want to check this out, go to squarespace.com slash twip. That's squarespace.com slash T-W-I-P. You don't need a credit card. You can just try to start building a site. If you don't like it, you don't like it. If you like it, you like it. It's all free. Really There's cool. no commitment. That's really you can, cool. you know, and, and if you want your own URL and you want to sign up, it's, uh, you can get 10% off if you use the offer code T-W-I-P. And once again, just go to squarespace.com slash twip. All right. All right. Let's jump into listener questions. The first one is assigned primarily to Joseph. Joseph, take it away. All right, so uh, this question comes in from Philip uh, Koberlein. The question is, can you suggest a way to find people online that are displaying my images? Are there specialized search engines or services that can aid in this? 
So the first uh, website that comes up is something called TinEye, T-I-N-I-Y-E, or E-Y-E, sorry, TinEye. And with TinEye, you can um, you can point to an image that's already on the web. You can upload an image, you know, punch in a URL or just upload an image, and it will automatically search for images that are similar to it. So TinEye will scour the web for pictures that uh, for the same picture as yours. And it's a great service, but by their own admission, they have a very, very small percentage of the web that they have cataloged. So you can't rely on it entirely. I was talking to someone recently who's been using Bing for that, a Microsoft search engine. If you look, if you do an image search on Bing and you hover your mouse over the image, there's a little button under there that says Find Similar. And you click on that, and presumably it finds images that look like yours. Now, I've tested it a few times by looking for images that I know are mine um, and by using my name to search for them and finding them, it's then searching for other images that have my name attached to it. So it hasn't worked out for me that well. But I have heard from people, you know, firsthand accounts where they've actually found copyright violations of their own images by using the Bing search engine. And in fact, um, in one case, it was not just a photo that was being used. It was a photo that someone had taken and done a a rendering of, a, a painting or a drawing of, so it looked similar enough to the original image that Bing actually found it, and he was able to contact the person and say, hey, you, uh, you know, didn't ask permission Yo. for this. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, hey, give me my image back. So, Joseph, right now, like you said, because the the technology isn't widespread, and, and you know, they would have to presumably have most, if not all, of the images on the web sure. indexed, including any ones that show up that are new, Right now, the technology is more of a proof of concept than something that is actually useful. I'm afraid I, mean, it I, is. I think it's useful. Maybe it's too harsh. It's useful, but you can't rely on it as the if if my image doesn't show up in um, in this service, then it's not being infringed upon. Right. Yeah. No. That that's absolutely right. You can't rely on it. Uh, it's you know it's definitely good to throw things out there, and if you have a particular image that you're concerned about, um, you know that might be a more more useful approach than just trying to shotgun it with every photo you've ever taken because you, know, you could spend the rest of your life scouring those websites and just scouring the web at large looking for them. And a lot of this comes back to the watermarking discussion that I know we had not that many episodes ago. And there are people who are firmly against watermarking and some that are firmly for it. And I stand in the camp of, you know, I watermark my images. I keep it subtle and simple and it's down in the bottom corner. And so, yes, someone could crop it out. That's absolutely true. But at least if it's cropped out, then it's kind of a little bit more obvious that, well, look, they cropped this uh, watermark off of my image. I don't make it obtrusive. I don't slap it across the front of it. But it's one of the easiest ways to make sure that your images are tagged as yours when they get yeah. picked up by other people's, uh, on other people's websites. It's kind of analogous to, to locking your house before you leave, right? If, uh, if a thief wants to get in there and get your flat screen, they're going to get your flat screen. But at least you make it a little bit harder by locking the house before Like my leave. dad used to always say, luggage tags, you know, uh, luggage locks. Yeah. They just keep honest people honest. Yep. There you go. That was what my dad used to say, is keep honest people honest. That's... Smart man. And for everything else, there's Rottweilers. Rottweilers? <laughs> <laughs> Keep a Rottweiler in your luggage. Yeah, and we'll yeah, be yeah. That was surprising <laughs> when they opened that thing. You know? <laughs> For those short flights. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, question. the next question goes to you. Take it away. Yes. Um, what books would you recommend for an intermediate level film photographer wanting to start in digital photography? Um, well, since I don't read that many books, I'm not the greatest person to ask, but I really enjoy the book um, The Moment It Clicks by Joe McNally um, because I learn mainly by sort of seeing other people's photos and trying to recreate them. And I think instead of instead of buying a book, why don't you just spend some time online and um, you know read various blogs about photography 
I don't know. Can yeah. somebody help me? Is yeah, there, I, I would. I would say that that you know, I had a I interviewed an author Chris Orwig for for the show right. a while back, and I asked him a very I asked him a question because he's kind of a guy that straddles three lines. He's a print author so he has a bunch of books out with peach pit press um he has a bunch of titles out on lynda.com so that e-learning he does the e-learning stuff and he runs a blog and he does workshops any any talks or he's a instructor at brooks institute of photography so i asked him what's the best way for photographers wanting to jump to the next level or go pro should they you know go online should they buy a book or should they pay tuition and come to school and um, his answer was, it depends, right? It depends on the person, typically a combination of all three, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, for me, I learned everything through the web. So, I mean, something like lynda.com was amazing for me um, because I learned a lot of um, my post-processing techniques from that. But just in the terms of, I mean, there's basic things about about digital photography and once you've sort of broached aperture and shutter speed and, and that kind of thing, it's all really up to you to sort of take it to the next level. And I think, yeah, something like exploring, um, you know, great photographers that have great blogs. I mean, Chase Jarvis or Nick Onkin or, you know, there, there's a lot of um, amazing photographers that are just sharing, you know, their their tips through um, blogs. Yeah. Well, and I and I think that you know, for me, I think most of the way I learned was to I learned something new. I'd be reading some magazine article, mm-hmm. or I'd read some book that my my uncle got me, and and I get I I learn one skill, and um and I would go out and play with that skill and shoot you know a thousand photos or yeah. a hundred photos a or whatever. For your tool belt, right? And I would get yeah. and I would really get to what I like about that and what I don't like about that, and that was part of me doing my my little fifty millimeter. Um, you know, walkabout, mm-hmm. <laughs> where all mm-hmm. I had, I just forced myself to live inside of a fifty millimeter. Right, uh, and also it was nice and small, and I could throw it. You know, it was easy to carry around. I mean, I, yep. now that I have a twenty-four to seventy, you know, two point eight sitting on my camera a lot, mm-hmm. I really respect the fifty for for, for weight. Yeah, <laughs> so less is more. So the um, uh, and so, but but doing you know, learning something like playing with short depth of field, then playing with wide angle, then playing with you know, shutter speed and playing with different things. And, and, and I think a lot of us tend to, you know, you want to be doing all of that skill development when you're not working. Yeah. Joseph, do you have any books quickly that you'd recommend that for people to check out? Uh, Hot Shoe Diaries from Joe McNally. That's the last one that I read and I love it. It's just full of great examples that you can, uh, you can try, you know, set up with your lights and try them at home. It's a fantastic resource. And even though, that's a good point, because even though Joe's a Nikon shooter and a lot of the examples in the book are using the Nikon creative lighting system, um, you can transfer mostly everything that he talks about over to the Canon side, right? Well, yeah, most of his technology, most of his uh, discussion isn't about the technology. It's about the, the placement of the lights and, and, you know, utilizing the small lights and having multiples of them and, and how to creatively use all those different lights at your disposal and how to creatively use the system. And yeah, there certainly are differences between the Nikon and the Canon system. And there were probably a couple of things in there that didn't quite translate, but you know, 90% of it just translates right over. No problem. All right, Alex, the last question you want to, you want to take this one? Sure. So the last question is, uh, this is from Greg Oz. And he said, uh, now that it is obvious that Canon is hot for video in their cams, when will Adobe step up and allow their master collection software edit, um, to edit the native Canon video clips. Uh, presently, what software um, does uh, take the edit to native video um, from the Canon cameras? And what do you recommend? What workflow is recommended? So 
Uh, it's all you because I don't know the answer <laughs> to that question. So number one is is it Adobe typically uh, updates their uh, software every eighteen months? Uh, the master collection is typically every eighteen months, I believe, and so I, I would expect us to see an update. I do not know whether this is one of the things that's in the update, but um, that's when we would expect to see an update from from Adobe. Uh, with probably sometime this spring, and so uh, we can see then whether they do that. Uh, I have to admit that when we're going to do any editing on the software, it is immediately uh, basically. Um, converted to apple prores so we re, re, everything we do is within final cut and I, I i don't even know to be honest with you whether final cut can handle it on its own mm-hmm. we immediately take the stuff and promote it to apple prores because it everything in a final cut uh workflow on a mac uh it's all optimized for apple prores and so yeah. you get more multi-clip and you get a lot of other things and so yeah. if we're doing video we immediately just convert everything to apple prores and so that's um uh and if we're doing 444 then it's apple prores 4 by 4 otherwise it's apple prores hq uh, with when you're coming out of the camera, you can go speaking, SQ. You're speaking Lithuanian. If people are, <laughs> there's, there's three different there's three different flavors of Apple ProRes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's standard, there's HQ, and then there's four by four. Four by four is really for only people like us who are crazy and shooting really really high. You know, stuff that needs alpha channels and needs a bunch yep. of other stuff. Um, you don't really need that for the most part. Uh, but uh, the other ones allow you to, uh, and and all of them, all the Apple ProReses are far more have far more resolution. They're keeping far more information than what you originally had on the camera. So you're, not, oh. you're, you're promoting it no matter what Apple ProRes you go to, whether it's SQ, HQ, whatever. You are promoting what we call promoting it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't understand that piece. So you said when you convert to Apple ProRes from you, your Canon camera, from your Canon camera, you are getting more information than was actually captured? You're not like getting going more to a different dimension? It's, What's going it's on? like you're, putting, you're taking a... A little box and putting it into a big box. The little box is what your Canon camera ca- mm-hmm. capture, and you're putting it in a big box. You're not getting more. It's just that you're not throwing any information away. So people have this thing like, I should be working natively. Well, the thing is, is what you want to be focused on is I should be promoting. So what you don't want to do is go f- from what the Canon camera is doing to some kind of web H.264 or, or you know, something like that. You, you always want to promote the video. So you want to give it headroom. Give it headroom. So okay, you're basically it. putting it in a larger, you know, container. Okay. to work with rather than a smaller container to work with. And so and, and the, the container isn't very big of what those cameras compress that stuff pretty heavily. Yeah. So the container that they're the, the box that they're already building is pretty small. Yeah. So when you put it into Apple ProRes, uh, you're you're promoting it. You're putting that That's little cool. container into a larger container. Um, and it happens to play back better and it'll be easier to edit and it'll be, you know, so so that's why we do it. And now some people are sensitive because that will make a larger file. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're used to. I have to admit that we're we're used to working with very very large files. You know, and video that's files. what that's what Joseph so. was telling me. Joseph, uh, you and I, I was asking you for your advice on what to convert some video footage into, and you said ProRes, um, but you said that be prepared for the time delay that it's going to take to convert that footage. So, what what do you do? What's your what's a, a quickly? What's your workflow? So yeah, same thing. Converting to ProRes is definitely the the easier way to handle it. When you're editing it, you can take advantage of the real-time editing effects. It's going to play back more reliably, more smoothly. But you don't have to do the conversion. You can edit it natively, and it will play back in real-time on the timeline as long as you don't do anything to it. No color correction, no dissolves, no titling or anything else. And you do risk it dropping frames as uh, as you go between cuts. But if you need to edit something quickly, you don't have to go to ProRes to do it. You can just edit it. Yeah, you, can, you can it hack is. it. You can hack it through. Yeah. You know what we do is we're not usually we don't have unlike Joseph. What, what probably he's working on oftentimes is is a quick turnaround. Most of the stuff that we shoot is not you know a really quick turnaround. And mm-hmm. so what happens is we just shoot a whole bunch of footage, 
and then we just throw it into an overnight conversion process and let it bake <laughs> and yeah. let it bake and, yeah. and then when it comes out the other end it's ready to it's ready to use That's and we cool. don't need to use it the same day if you uh, look at the behind the scenes footage of the behind the scenes video of the uh, nocturne for vincent lafray that's something that i cut together for him and when he handed me the footage i got a series of some stuff that had been converted to prores some that was native h264 some off the 7d some off the 5d some off the mark 4 and then also still images together and I didn't have time because of the fast turnaround to right. convert everything. I just took what I got, dumped it all in the timeline, set the timeline to ProRes because that's uh, that's what I wanted to go out to eventually. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I was able to mix and match it, no problem. Well, great. Well, we got to about 1% of all the topics that we wanted, <laughs> we wanted to end the show. I mean, we may have to do an early 2010 kind of, you know, yeah. let's wrap up 2009 kind of show to hit some of these more things. I mean, there were things in here that we wanted to hit on, like Kodak retiring Kodachrome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, since we're just about at the end of the show, let's just wrap it up. Lisa, where can people go to uh, find out more about you? Uh, MostlyLisa.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at MostlyLisa. Excellent. Joseph Lenashki, where are you at on the, in the ether? On the Twitters at travel underscore junkie. And my blog is confessionsofatraveljunkie.com. Alex Lindsay. I'm on the Twitters. Just on the Twitters. Alex Lindsay. Alex Lindsay. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on my blog, which links to all of my online presences at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off for the last time in 2009.